0: The, the mission, right, which is to empower the disinterested future with um, uh, giving, making data more accessible to as many people as possible. And I think for us, over there is on like the market, the mind share of the market. Uh, are we able to solve uh, the problems for every user? If customers come in and tell us that, hey, you know, uh, your product allows me to do uh, XYZ and, and, and get like benefit from it, then I think we, we feel good about it and we want to just continue building on this.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups we'll uncover the stories behind the struggles the ups the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur so without any further ado let's jump into today's show all right my guest today is tm lee the founder of CoinGecko. for those of you who don't know CoinGecko is the world's largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator. And they have made a name for themselves as a key provider of fundamental analysis on the crypto market. Thank you very much for being here today, TM. Thanks for
0: having me, Kevin. Pleasure to be here.
1: So I, I I want to know because this is this is an interesting space looking at the crypto market. Take me back to the beginning. How did you get on the entrepreneurial pathway to begin with? And what led you into kind of going down the rabbit hole of the crypto market and leading towards CoinGecko?
0: Yeah, um, so I think in terms of entrepreneurial story, uh, or at least the interest of it, it came uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, I was inspired by the Web 2.0 movement. Uh, So at the time, there were Products like I think Twitter was up and coming, uh, Facebook, a lot of social ads and stuff like that. So I think that kind of got me like really really interested in what's possible on the internet, and and that you know gives access to a lot more information. So I got really interested in programming and always wanted to try to tinker and build some stuff. Uh, I eventually went to do a degree in computer science uh, uh, in, in in the US, and uh, while I was in college, uh, I was I meet, I met up with some friends and we ended up building a Southeast Asia flight. Uh flight ticket aggregator uh for, for fun and I think we got a couple of traction here and there but we didn't manage to turn it into a business but it gave us a lot of uh learning points as well of how to run something from from scratch in a scrappy way uh eventually I, I moved back to to Malaysia and at the time uh, I wanted to still build something I was looking around for ideas and at the time uh this is about like 2012 I think I was looking to build like a SaaS product um that I can um Provide some sort of a tooling uh, online for people to just like use. Um, I was looking for a payment provider, uh, but I stumbled upon issues because there were no Braintree or Stripe or any sort of the, the paper that you see today. Uh, mm-hmm. So I ended up approaching like a local payment provider and they told me that, you know, you gotta have like half a million ringgit or something like that in your bank account to get a paperwork going. I don't have that kind of money. I, I don't really, uh, you know, not able to get that going. So in the end, I, I just decided to shove that idea and then I ended up like uh, working on a job in, in Singapore. Um, and what happens that uh, in Singapore, I attended like a a Bitcoin meetup and I think that's where I started to meet like a lot of interesting people at the meetup and really picked my attention on what Bitcoin is. And I ended up like reading up the white paper uh, and got really, really excited about what it can do. I've always like looking for people to talk about it and discuss about it. That was when I met my uh, partner Bobby in, in Singapore when I was visiting by chance. And then later on, we decided to try to do something in the crypto space. Uh, after like just narrowing down like what's possible, but uh, looking at, uh, at what Bitcoin is uh, at the time, I thought it kind of like answers the question that I have when I was trying to build the sales product. we I'm not able to find a payment provider, and that sort of like further clicks through, like uh, why I think this is like something that is uh, up and coming, and I wanted to explore more into this space. Yeah.
1: Okay, so the, that's that's still quite early days in kind of the evolution of crypto. I mean, crypto has gone through a lot of ups and downs over the time, but you're go, you're go, you're really going back uh, a decent decent length when you, you you know your your average conversation with friends or family, most people look at you like they have no clue what you're talking about, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like, like everyone, would, everyone thinks that, 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 that the, the, the Bitcoin people are seen as the crazy ones, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think we're still crazy right now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very hard to find someone to, to just like talk about it and just discuss about it, which is why like the meetups, I think were like 30, 30 people or so. And yeah. it was really, really, um, uh, grassroots. And I thought that was really fun. And I think what was interesting to me was I found some, uh, developers. So I think at that time there were a lot of. Uh, meetups in Singapore that were targeted at startups in general and a tech stack and stuff like that. I attended all of them, but when I attended the Bitcoin meetups, it's a bit of a mix and there are a few developers in there and and the developer myself, I thought like this is like an interesting niche that no one is sort of paying attention to. And and, uh, I decided to just like be a bit of a contrarian and just, you know, dive into the rabbit hole there and see like what's up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a bit of a rabbit hole once you get going and there's, there's a lot of layers to uncover and so so you 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 get super interested in bitcoin you start getting really interested in I think even at that time period we didn't really say web3 until a couple of years later but you start getting really into into that 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 territory and so how did that transition into kind of the product idea for CoinGecko and what did it look like in those first days when you decided to start building something
0: yeah, so I think when we got in early days, uh it was mean so to the perspective I have is like you know, people are trading these coins and people are always talking about uh consensus mechanism, how can you create a better Bitcoin and all, mm-hmm. all those kind of things? Uh those that like, those are one part of it. And then the other one is that businesses, right? Businesses are trying to build uh products around the Bitcoin ecosystem. So there are like exchanges, uh, exchange operators, uh point of sale system, um remittance services and stuff like that. And then I think on our end, we're looking at like, you know, there are potentially other products and businesses that we can build around this space. And we're just like going down the list, like the most popular one at the time in about 2014, uh, at least on the advent of the Mt. Gox collapse, like people were just rebuilding the space. Mm. Uh, people were looking at, at building uh, mining uh, mining farms or mining pools, exchanges, local exchanges for fiat on-ramp. So we actually like gone, gone down the list and, and trying to figure out what to build. And we ended up landing on a data aggregation business, which we thought that maybe we have some sort of advantage because uh, we... Are not people who have like um, a, a high, a large amount of capital to start an exchange or even like dealt with regulatory issues and stuff like that. So we decided to do a business that is very uh, intangible and that can scale across globally. So we started off by uh, identifying like what are the problems in the data space. We realized that there is this sort of uh, information that's all scattered around and we just wanted to make an MVP that brings all of those information together. Things like um developer activity or community stats of all these different uh cryptocurrency projects that people are starting up putting them all in one place and just making it easily accessible to people uh it wasn't a price centric uh market data uh from the start but it eventually evolved into that but that also allows us to um you know, learn about a space. Uh, make inroads in talking to more and more people, and then and then slowly, like like uh, gradually evolve the product into something that um uh, fits like uh the product market fit of what people want. So I think that's kind of like the, the starting point, and basically just trying to play to our strength of uh running something that we think of an edge in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 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 you kind of censored on that on that data side. You, you mentioned something interesting that, that the starting point wasn't very price centric. So if you're talking about data, was it more on looking at volume? Was it talking about kind of the data around, you know, during that time period, it was it was a bit like Wild Wild West where there were new like coin offerings. There were a lot of these different things that was coming out. Was 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 where was the the the, the central focus of the data if it wasn't price?
0: so so yeah there, there, there's bitcoin and there's all the other new coins that came out after there, Litecoin yeah. and so on and, and they're trying to solve a, a new I mean, even today like people are always trying to solve new problems with, with tokens and coins and everything and, and uh, even up to today or even at the time a lot of the focus were on prices and market cap mm. and, and that's where everyone pay, is paying attention to and there are products and services that are doing that already at the time yeah and when we come in uh we want to look at it in a different angle like there's all these different projects how what are the data Important to uh to researchers or traders, right? Things like developer activity. I mean, when a new project comes in, does it attract more developers coming in to build in that in that uh cryptocurrency, for example? Mm-hmm. Is there a huge community that values around? So for example, at like Dogecoin, when it launched about in 2014, it doesn't have anything too fundamentally uh it doesn't introduce anything too fundamentally new, but it has a large following of community compared to the other coins, So we were looking at all those kind of different stats and trying to bring them all into one place uh, for the information of uh, of visitors or people who are interested in in crypto in general. Okay, yeah. Now
1: Dogecoin has Elon Musk's entire Twitter following uh, (laughs) staying on on top of it um okay very very interesting i i think the the it's it's capturing some some interesting data points uh, when you're when you're talking about how many developers are coming in are, are these things that you know are are data points that are like on chain that you can you can actually find them to where you know maybe there's a DAO and it has like the 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 the, the, spe- the specific kind of um uh, pseudonyms of who's involved within within that particular aspect or how how are you capturing that data?
0: Yeah, so a lot of the projects are actually using GitHub um to okay. like maintain so it's kind of like an open source project. Mm-hmm. So you can just uh look at look at the project and then look at how many contributors, look at the popularity of the project, look at the number of commits, pull requests, issues discussed. So that gives us a, a pulse of the activity. So I think at that time like things that are written on chain are largely very simple stuff like just transaction data like, yeah, because okay. Ethereum hasn't really came to be yet until like twenty uh fifteen or sixteen if I recall correctly. And that's when with smart contract things become even like crazier. Right. So I think even for us uh when we started CoinGecko, like we had to find a way to, to like go through every single phase of the of the cycle. Like we went from you know Bitcoin only world to Ethereum to like ICOs and then NFTs and then now DeFi and you know that's there's, there's, there's very different cycle and i think for us we, we're just trying to figure out how to adapt to the space and i as you look at the site right now you it will become like like you know very very general purpose for for what everyone imagined that they could uh i mean what they can use point for more importantly yeah
1: okay okay and so when when, when you're talking about kind of like uh, es- establishing a product market fit for a particular audience segment of particular customer segment was was the idea to go after kind of people that were actively trading or who did you see as kind of that ideal customer persona?
0: Yeah, so, so when we started CoinGecko, we started off in uh, Malaysia uh, because mm-hmm. myself and Bobby, we are based in Malaysia. I was working on a software consultancy project and then Bobby was in a property development company. We keep our day jobs and we just keep this as a bootstrap. Project and we, we didn't manage to, we didn't want, we didn't go all in at the time. Um, mainly so because it, it was really, really like crypto was really niche, right? So we kept it a project and just tried to go in. Um, so, so what ends up happening is that, um, uh, uh, the, the, the idea is that even though we're in Malaysia, our target audience wasn't Malaysia, we see this as a global market. And because when, when you look at Bitcoin, it is money and, and money is understood by everyone around the world. And we kind of get the, the initial thesis was that, yeah, anyone who understands money would eventually discover the value of Bitcoin or crypto, and then eventually they will need a data portal that they can look up information for. So we we kind of know like this is like the possible term if these things were to grow. So what we end up doing was uh, a few contrarian things. Uh, a lot of the discussion, a lot of the information are written in English uh, in, in 2014, 2015. So what we end up doing was to translate all the information into about 17 foreign languages. Uh, and we also support currencies. When we get into pricing data, on instead of just looking in the, in US dollars, we convert the the Bitcoin price in like twenty or different major currencies, in like Australian dollars, mm-hmm. um, Canadian dollars, major ringgit, Singapore dollars, and whatnot. And and this sort of like got you know people when they discover crypto or Bitcoin in everywhere parts of the world, they realize that you know Coinco has information that is closer to their native uh, currency or native language, and that got us inroads into okay getting more people to understand like what we provide and then they become a community they become a user and for us to further iterate the product and that's when we realized that yeah that we might be onto something and especially so when when in 2017 um when we continue to capitalize a side project we are seeing like exponential growth in in our product uh that's when we're like okay maybe we are really really onto something and that's try to double down in 2018 we made our first hire we opened our first office and we turn it into a full-time thing so i think that's kind of how the transition takes place. it took like i think four years to okay. to discover product market fit and turn it into like a serious uh, business yeah
1: okay yeah you're, you're kind of kind of getting to the point where you ro- ro- rode the wave because to be honest with you between 14 and 18 there was still that kind of there was much more of a spike in awareness and activity uh getting into getting into the time period where you, where you're talking about in 2018 where mainstream news outlets were kind of all of a sudden uh, attempting to speak it, even though they, they kind of stumbled over a lot of the yeah. specifics. Um, very, 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 very interesting. So where was the first office uh, that
0: you opened? Uh, yeah, it was just in, in Dabansal, like TTDI somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah We've got a co-working space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Cause we are b- we all based
1: here. Um, uh, in, in Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very, very cool. And is that, is that still the case? The entire team is still based in Malaysia?
0: Um, not, not entirely. Uh, we ended up, uh, having to expand. And so we have, uh, satellite offices, like, uh, we have a team in Singapore. We have a team of freelancers, um, all over the world. So it has, it has sort of like expanded beyond that but of course like the main operation is still like base
1: base here yeah
0: okay okay very cool very cool
1: so 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 walk me through you know you, you you get to this point in 2018 where now it's it's transitioning from side gig to to primary gig you've got your first employee you're opening up an office um what's 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 next on that pathway when you're when you're when you're looking at it and you're saying okay now this is full-time gig Revenue model wise, what what are you looking at in regards to being able to monetize off of it? Is it is it a subscription play? What's what's the revenue model in that early
0: day? Yeah, so from from day one, our revenue model has always been uh, advertising. Um, so that's how we kept the business. So, so like, Konyako is bootstrap, uh, even up to this point. And the reason how we managed to make it bootstrap is because, uh, we put in, uh, advertising revenue model from day one and it managed Mm -hmm. to pay off for its own, pay off for its server and whatnot. And we never really like draw any salary from, from, from the business. Um, and when, when, when 2018 happened, I think largely was just responding to the market because the demand just sort of like, like grown exponentially. We see our servers breaking uh we're not able to deal with like uh, customer support people coming in to ask questions like hey what's crypto what's this and whatnot and we find ourselves struggling to even like meet that demand uh so a lot of the thing was just responding and making sure that things don't break uh and, and just continue to allow users to come in and get the information they want and, and grow from there um so, so that's largely that and then uh, we continue to have uh advertising as a main business model for mm-hmm. for a long time until Sometime in the last one or two years ago, where we decided that, uh, we want to introduce like subscription to, to sort of like diversify and make okay. our business, uh, stronger and much more predictable because we know that advertising is, is, is really cyclical. Uh, yeah. we have gone through like two to three, I think three, uh, cycles right now and kind of know that, yeah, there's going to be a dark market. It's going to like, weather the storm, but the, mm-hmm. the advertising revenue is impacted, uh, first, right? Even in the, sure. uh, the tech, the tech space right now, like you see that, that uh, advertising is, 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 the first to be impacted in a, in a, in a downturn yeah. like this so we kind of anticipated that and tried to diversify uh with subscription and we started it off with uh with our api because uh, we've been offering the api for free for the longest time and and the reason why we're doing that is also to um sort of like help the space and and sort of like democratize access to data because a lot of developers at the time during a down market um you want to build something you want to get market data and integrate into your apps, like, right? we want to make it as easy as possible for you to do that. Uh, but it's also come to a point where um, there are um, there are a lot of, like, you know, abuses to the API, there's a lot of like DDoSs, and mm. we want to make sure that this is scalable for people who really needs it. So we have like two different tiers, we're going to continue to provide the free public data. Uh, but we also have the paid version if uh, you are doing something like like you know serious or you're running a business on top of it and you want a better like like uptime for example. Okay, yeah.
1: okay. I, I, I want to come back to the the su- subscription, but let, let let me let me start off with a couple of questions on the advertising since that was kind of the the early days of it. You know, so there there's there's I guess a couple of forms of the advertising. I I think part of it is you can you can set up your Google AdWords or whatever sort of uh, programmatic. Uh, uh, advertising or you could also kind of go out and directly sell brands uh, is it is it safe to assume that in the early days it was just kind of setting up the programmatic and playing off of the page views aspect as opposed to trying to have a sales team selling agencies and brands directly
0: yeah I would say even up to today we do a mix of both even in the early days I think uh, kind of both as well like whenever there's okay. opportunity to do direct like we would do it uh, otherwise uh yeah we can plug it into to the network and and you know, that would be the automated so um yeah i guess i guess that the nice thing is that uh you don't really need a sales team behind it to to plug into the network but of course sometimes uh, depending on opportunity right so mm. i guess we still do a mix of both uh back then even up to today yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean the programmatic's great kind of for kind of filling out the the unsold inventory so you, you get a much higher price point when you sell yeah. direct, uh, especially if you do like run of side and, and, and some of these other sort of uh, different 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 types of, of direct ad sales. Have you had uh, challenges with, you know, periodically over, over the course of time, you get adjustments to kind of the pricing mechanisms. A while back, Google changed the way their auctions uh, were, auctions were done, which kind of affected prices for a lot of uh, publications, etc is 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 that is that also a factor that played into you deciding to need to diversify aside from the fact that these are discretionary budgets you know mm-hmm. marketing has a tendency of being the first thing to cut in yeah. in bad times yeah
0: yeah i don't think it's specifically to any changes from from google i think largely the i mean things 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 are, are Largely okay for us, I think, and the reason okay. why we want to move to subscription is to make it more predictable and defensible. Mm-hmm. Um Because, like, like, yeah, like everything is like down, like, like you no know, crazy ninety percent or whatever, you know, in a down mm-hmm. market and um uh and as you mentioned that marketing is the first to to, do the first thing that 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 people look at to to cut and uh we just want to try to like diversify the business for for long-term sustainability and that would be like the 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 key point yeah
1: okay okay so let's let's talk about the API then so like when when you decided to start charging for it you you had mentioned that people there there were some abuses there were DDoS there were there there was these other sort of aspects but when you were trying to figure out okay I want to monetize it There's 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 obvious questions in regards to trying to figure out who within my current user base of this API, could I actually charge? And then there's also the question of how do I determine what I charge? What's what's the what's the price? Can, Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys kind of thought about those two questions?
0: yeah yeah I think uh it's definitely like running like a new startup within a startup when we were yeah. doing the api business so um I think what we ended up doing was really like exploratory so we didn't really immediately move to a self serve subscription model uh from the get-go um uh, we actually i think there were a couple of requests that came in like hey they're looking for higher rate limits they're looking for something more stable they're looking for a dedicated infrastructure I think, so there is like customer request that uh we are we need to do something like this and then what we end up doing was just jumping on a conversation with them, making sure that that we 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 get we understand what they need, and then just ask them like, hey, do you have a budget for this? And I think somehow we landed on a on a on on a number that that works well for both sides. And then that becomes like a like a like anchor point for a particular like enterprise arrangement that we did with, with the customer. And then from there, we, we decided that, yeah, we won't be able to close or, or speak to, to that many customers manually. So we decided to introduce a self-serve and we sort of like just price it in, in a way like that's based off what we uh, arranged with the initial customer discovery and then just land on some number and and, and go with it. And I don't think uh, there's any right formula to, to price things right uh, at the end is, is making sure that your costs and, your yeah the cost and the the amount that you charge the customer is sort of balance it up that that it would the the model needs to to balance and work out well basically so i think this is what they are we're looking for we want to make sure that this is also accessible to as many uh customers and users as as possible yeah
1: okay okay and what what was what was the what was the mechanism in order to send them notification notifications so you can't you 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 emailed out or something along those sort of lines and just kind of said, Hey, here's, here's what's going on. We're splitting free tier and paid tier. Here's the difference. Sign up if you want. That's that sort of thing. Or what was the, what was the messaging that you sent out?
0: Yeah. So we, so the thing is that the, the api that we had were sort of like public so uh, that there is a difficulty in identifying like the customer mm-hmm. although sometimes uh we do know that some some like some sites are using the api like, like openly and then we do try to approach them um but i guess on our end is is um whoever that we can identify we try to do it uh but if we can't then sometimes as i mentioned like our API is 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 pretty unstable because it's public right And 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 there is like all kinds of traffic coming in and sometimes we 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 have to sort of like close the API for a bit to make sure that things gets fixed, and then sometimes trying to impose some limit on some very suspicious looking uh, pattern and stuff like that. And uh you know when we work with CDN partners, we also ask them like, hey, how can you help us like combat like uh, all these all these weird things? And um, so I think like if, if if the customer wants something stable, like they they would generally uh, gravitate towards uh, a paid version because that has its own infra. And because it's a key and everything, it's less suitable to uh, spams and whatnot. So it's two different kind of product. And I think also because if, if developers are familiar with the API that we provide, the paid one is not anything too different. It's just basically adding a key and then your apps would just run uh, as it is. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just it just kind of improves the stability. Is there a difference in the data set as well? Is, is there premium data that you're putting through the the paid version?
0: Yeah, so uh, we are definitely trying to iterate the, the 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 pro the pro API, and we are introducing some new exclusive endpoints that only the paid users will get. And but largely, yeah, I think uh, because we start off with the free API and we migrate over, we also want to make sure that whatever that's available on the free is also available on on the paid version. And yeah, so I think like, any sort of iteration or innovation, we will definitely like uh, provide it to the to the paid exclusive customers first to, to let them to try it out and get like access to it. Yeah
1: okay very cool very cool um so so when when you're when you're looking uh in your kind of product roadmap uh what and to the extent that you're able to disclose uh mm-hmm. what what is kind of your vision of kind of the next next steps in the evolution of CoinGecko? gecko what, what what can we expect coming out in the future
0: yeah so we see, uh, so we kind of, we are, we're kind of optimistic about the crypto space, uh, and the blockchain space, uh, mm-hmm. a web three, like to put it. Um, we see a future in the next, like 10 years or so that there will be millions of tokens, uh, representing all kinds of assets, both digital, both, uh, digital and like, uh, physical, uh, in the form of fungible and non-fungible. And, uh, if there's going to be that many, many tokens, then I think people are going to have trouble at like, making sense of, all this data and information. And I think for us at Coinco is to continue to empower the space by building all the ancillary services, uh, to sort of like, um, uh, provide market data, provide information about all these different tokens. So we have also recently launched a relatively new product called Gecko Terminal, uh, sometime last year. And this is an on-chain first, um, token explorer, which allows us to get prizes and market data for, um, uh, tokens that are launched on the chain. And that allows us to keep up with the space. So it largely is, um, you know, you you see like like everything is like data centric, market data, and we want to do this really, really well and like like give this value back to 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 the space. And and that remains our, our focus. Yeah. Okay.
1: Is 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 the is this terminal also a paid product or is this something that's open? The terminal is a,
0: is a is a it's still open, it is open to accessibility. And hmm. um, the, the API is currently in beta, so it doesn't have the same stack as the, the, the point API. We're still toying with a few uh, um, uh, features and talking to customers. Again, it's like building another startup uh, within a startup and as well, trying to look for product market, fit, customer discovery and stuff like that. So uh, it's currently openly uh, available and, and anyone can just like, plug in into the API and build something if they want to. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, and so, and so, you know, I, I, I'd, I'm, I'm sure I'd get a lot of messages if if I didn't ask questions about like the your perception of the overall uh, crypto market. So if 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 I can let me let me ask you a few questions on that because, you know, right now I'm from the U.S. originally. Right now, it seems like a really bad time uh, in the U.S. from a regulatory standpoint. Coinbase just ended up suing the. Uh, the 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 SEC and and all of this. How do you see kind of the challenges of the geopolitics, things that are completely outside of your control? Do you see these impacting the level of interest from kind of demand for the data that's coming through your platform? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a, a key risk or a concern. And I think on our end is what we can do is just to observe the space and try to make our, our, our best guesses. But again, we will never be, be right about it. I think on our end, the barometer that we use is less so about um, the macro and whatnot. We use developer interest because we believe that um, uh, what we are seeing right now or at least on, in, my, in my opinion, like what I'm seeing right now in the Web3 space is very similar to Web 2.0 mm-hmm. uh, 10, 15 years ago, where developers were coming in, uh, building products and services on top of API, open API standards, and just meshing up different uh, services together. And and kind, I'm kind of seeing that right now where developers are coming to this space, every, all the data is on-chain, it's protocols and you know make use of that and build new products and services. And if that turns out well, there will be use cases that... And uh, there'll be new use cases and problems that get solved. And that will pull people in to want to use these products, right? It may not be the kind of product that we are very, like, you know, financial transaction or whatever. That's, mm-hmm. That could be one use case. But it could be many, many other use cases as well, like social media, um, uh, governance, and, um, uh, you know, there can be unlimited use cases for for crypto in general. And that that is probably, like, the, the measuring that I will use in terms of, like, what drives demand. Uh, And those are things that that we can, I think we can better control. Uh, But of course, there's a lot of like um, uh, external factors as well that we have to consider. But this is like the the, the main like uh, pieces that we have at least.
1: Okay. And when, when, you, when you think on expanding on that thesis of there's new use cases coming out, you you had mentioned before about capturing the relevant data for the the particular use cases, as opposed to obviously price and all of that it now is, is a component above it. But you talked about kind of the relevancy of, is it the number of developers? Is it this? Is it that? As new use cases come out, I'd imagine that there's an evolving set of what is the relevant data associated with new use cases etc how do you guys view kind of staying on top of that and maintaining kind of that leading edge of we're the topical experts because we're capturing all of this and and maintaining that kind of the data aggregator
0: yeah i i think the the space is is the space is big enough for uh, more people to come in right so I don't I don't think we'll be able to like be the one stop place for everything because as mm. for example let's say gaming right gaming be one of the use cases the things that people look at in the gaming space in uh in crypto is very different like you may not be too concerned about fraud prices of your asset you you want to know like okay for a given particular ability or traits of your in-game assets you want to know prices you want to know who's talking about it so I think like yeah g- generally that's a whole different subset of data that Another startup could come in and, you know, be, build that and be good at it. I think for us, we want to supply, uh, uh, prizes, data or anything. I I don't imagine us doing everything, which is why, like, you know, going back to how the API is powering the space is helping developers coming in, focus on their use case. If you need prizes, you know, we are there to do the heavy lifting for you. And we want to do that really, really well. Will we go into other, uh, uh, data sets, uh, that really depends on the opportunity and, uh, are we able to do that well or not? And I think if you get into a space, you want to make sure that we can maintain and, and serve the market, uh, at the best of our ability. But otherwise, core, core is always, um, uh, the thing that we want to sort of like, um, you know, uh, make sure that we, we, we are good at. Yeah.
1: Okay. So not, not 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 looking at going down the specialist uh, pathway in and becoming the topical expert on things like gaming and other use cases, but more maintaining that core the the the, the core of what you've been able to build, which is more generalized across use cases. Yeah.
0: That, that is at least like the, the, the core product. Like I think for any any company that wants to come in, I think from, from my realization is that if you want to expand quickly, uh, you have to make sure that you can maintain all of them quickly as well, because you just grew your portfolio of products, especially if they're not related to each other, it becomes very, very taxing, right? And I think for mm-hmm. us, uh, given the current uh, climate as well, like, I think every company is trying to make the best, uh, try, trying to, make, uh, uh, like try to narrow down their best to the thing that, that matters the most, I think for us, uh, kind kind of similar as well, because we do we never know like where how long this carbon climate is gonna last, and and you know where things are gonna change. Uh, but we at least at the very base level, we are still gonna innovate and try new things, but we must make sure that the core competency is always.
1: Uh, at its top, yeah. Okay, okay. Do you, do you see? You know, what one of one of the things that I've observed is that there's a lot more professional, institutional uh, asset traders, you know, like mm-hmm. hedge funds and those types of institutions coming more and more into the the crypto space. Do you see this changing the dynamic or perhaps increasing the demand for types of products like your newly released uh, uh the the new API subscription uh pro yeah. package? Uh, and yeah, what sure. what, are you, what are you guys trying to do in order to tackle that kind of changing dynamic?
0: Yeah, for, uh, absolutely I think uh, there's there's a lot of demand for institution grade data that is coming in. Um on on our end um I would say that in the early days when we started out, we focused more on the retail centric kind of data. So there are some retail data that we provide that sure. could be of interest to them, uh, specifically about enterprise grid data. You know, that's something that, that for on our end, we are evaluating whether to build that or not. And, and it's a very different use case altogether. They are only interested in very specific assets. They're not looking for the, you know, the 10,000 assets that we cover. Um, so that's, uh, even that itself is like a market on its own that there are other players that are good at that. And for us is like, do we, Uh, do we want to get into the space or do we continue to do what we are good at and i think like the on-chain strategy is also like something a bit more contrarian as well and um yeah i guess going back is that the 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 space is just growing growing exploding Mm -hmm. and um there's just many players that that can get involved and uh choose the, the vertical that you want to be good at yeah
1: Okay. Okay. For for the, for the institutional grade data, I know one of the things that I've heard discussed and I'd, I'd be curious to get your opinion on this is that because of the nature of web three, there's, there's, there's a proneness to some of the activities that happen in kind of the, the, the public stock market sort of activity where you'd have things like pump and dump, you'd have some of these different ways to inflate asset prices where in the Web three, when the Web three space, it can still happen, but because the the data lift in order to identify those sort of activities is still relatively new, that institutions are more and more demanding kind of products in order to be able to kind of filter the BS radar kind of aspect of it. Do you see that within the community, or or am I kind of going too far on a tangent there? Uh,
0: yeah, I think the there are various. Um there are various proposals on the table, I think some products uh, or services out there are kind of doing that or you could use a mix of different services, right. So um, uh, as long as the transaction happens on chain, to some extent, um, you would generally be able to like sift through the data. So like, it could be transaction flows or behaviour, I think there's an on chain analysis company that allows you to do that. Uh, then when it comes to um, the exchange, behavior, and that's very similar to a traditional stock, uh, stock exchange, right, you can look at the order book, you can look at the trade that's mm. filled. Uh, you can discard some trades that you think is uh, too thin, even though like it moves the price, and that begets about uh, that relates to liquidity of of the exchange. So I think a lot of the things that were applicable there will also applicable, will be applicable here. Uh, of course, when it comes to on-chain trade, then uh, you start to look at. The, the pattern and the behavior from the on-chain analysis company so there are uh, some other services out there that, that allows you to mix and match and, and try to get the best kind of data you want okay
1: okay very interesting so so we we've we've talked we've talked about kind of your your outlook for the future where you sit in not going to specialize uh that you wanted to keep open data in order to create more more access etc so when you look at kind of the activities of coin and 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 whether or not you guys are succeeding uh at your goal aside from obviously the the financial side of it uh how do you guys define success as an organization when you're when you're looking at accomplishing this mission
0: yeah, I guess on on our end is um, there, there's always the, the 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 mission of the company and also the business priority. So I think business priority, uh, you go down to to hard metric numbers, right? Like, uh, is is the company financially healthy? Like, uh, our is our subscription growing? So those are things that will keep the business going, and we have to have those kind of things. Then the other one is sort of like the the the, the mission, right? Which is to empower. The disinterest future with uh uh giving making data more accessible to as many people as possible, and I think for us over there is on like the market the mind share of the market. Uh, are we able to solve uh the problems for every user? If customers come in and tell us that hey, you know uh your product allows me to do x y z and and get like benefit from it, then I think we we feel good about it and we want to just continue building on that. So I think it's two very different kind of distinct metric. One is very measurable. One is based on the perception of, of the market and we want to continue to I mean we, we look at both of of this thing in general yeah
1: okay 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 very, very cool very cool this is this has been this has been a super interesting conversation as kind of we've navigated and I've gotten your opinion on the overall web3 space as well as where CoinGecko is going let me let me wrap up here with my final closing questions the questions that I ask everyone and the first one of these is what is a tech tool that you yourself cannot live without?
0: Mm, trying to, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, let me see. I guess I use a lot of. Uh, so I think in the crypto space, generally we use Telegram as the uh, yeah. main chat app in the early days. I think that has been a chat app that I continue to use yeah, <laughs> even yeah, up to yeah, today. Yeah. I don't use it because I'm in the space or not, but I'm do, I'm seeing a lot of uh of my friends coming in to use telegram as well but yeah i think that's something that has been with me as long as i'm in the space up to today but other chat apps sometimes i I forgot to like check the chats yeah. and stuff like that, but yeah, Telegram is
1: this one. It's a it's a usual it's usually a giveaway of when you're exchanging contact info with somebody and they give you your give you their Telegram. You're basic it's basically a giveaway that yeah, this is a Web three person.
0: Yeah, uh, but I think these days is not not the case anymore. Like you're seeing more and more more and more, more people more telegram, coming in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, very very cool. L- last last question here. If you were to talk to another founder that's getting getting started, uh, what would be the biggest a piece of advice that you could offer that new founder
0: um yeah if, if the person is starting out especially um i guess i'm going to give a more contrarian advice and also largely because uh it relates to my experience which is uh if you want to start a startup you don't have to go like all in like you want to do it on the side and you know test the water first uh you can keep your day job and i think you can you just need to find some time to um uh work on your startup like uh, outside of your uh outside of uh free time, right? And I think why that is why why that worked out is because sometimes doing a startup can psychologically like mess you up. Uh you know if you go in and, and you're not seeing the result or attraction that you want, then you 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 know you, you can you can it can really affect you. Right. So if you have a day job at least you know that you're your day to day is covered, right? You know, your your family or your food or your roof for your head, those are covered. And you can start to worry about the the, the challenges in running a startup. But Of course, that means that less time for it. But Mm. sometimes, um, even though you have more time doesn't mean that you can solve the problem right away. Uh, uh, Problems takes sort of like a longer time to seep in and creatively give you the idea to find out how to solve it. So uh, long story short, uh, if you start a startup, uh, you can do it on the side, you don't have to go all in
1: yeah i I definitely agree actually the side gigging aspect is is perfectly viable i mean there comes a point as as the same that happened with you where you know you side gig turns into the full-time gig you have to hire employees but it's it kind of is around that aspect of when are you seeing the point where there's enough of a product market fit enough of a revenue opportunity that you can kind of jump head first and maybe it's still gonna be tight, but they the 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 starting point I mean, most people can side gig it for a pretty good amount of time before finding that kind of inflection point,
0: yeah, yeah
1: no i i i think that's i think that's a little less contrarian than you then you then you let in i was i was anticipating something much further along uh but no i i i i really agree with that and it's 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 great advice as well coming from somebody that's bootstrapped their way uh to to where they're at as well uh tm i I think this has been a fantastic conversation i really appreciate it uh i'm sure everybody that listens in is going to get a lot of value out of this one
0: all right thanks a lot kevin all right
1: All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is the Sea of Startups.